Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Real Life. I'm Lisa, and today we are going to be talking about what to expect from mental health treatment. This podcast is not intended to replace therapy, counseling, or seeing a psychiatrist. All information is researched and opinions are my own. I am a mental health registered nurse and professional content developer. So let's get started. What to expect from mental health treatment? In the podcast that preceded this podcast episode, Uh, We were talking about when someone is in a mental health crisis and how to navigate through that and how uh, how to handle it. Well, now we're uh, going uh, one step further and talking about uh, what to expect from mental health treatment. There are a variety of treatment options available for people with mental illness, and the best combination of treatment and other services will be different for each person. Recommendations are made by healthcare professionals based on the type of illness, the severity of symptoms, and the availability of services. Treatment decisions should be made by the individual in collaboration with the treatment team and their family when possible. In a crisis, the recommendation may be a hospital stay. Let's start with voluntary admission. Voluntary admission is always preferable. The immediate outlook is brighter for the person who understands the necessity and benefit of hospitalization and is willing to participate in a treatment plan. Private insurance may only cover a short hospitalization. Contact the insurance company to see how many hospital days are covered, both per year and per lifetime. Although federal law and the law of most states require parity insurance coverage, meaning psychiatric conditions are supposed to be covered in the same way other physical health conditions are. There are many exceptions to such coverage. Knowing what your insurance will cover before a crisis occurs can help things go much smoothly if emergency care is needed. Be sure to check with your insurance company about what age coverage stops for your adult children. Then there is involuntary admission or commitment. Uh, This may be recommended for someone who is experiencing extreme symptoms such as psychosis, uh, being violent or suicidal, or refuses the healthcare professional's recommendation to go to a treatment facility. If law enforcement and or mental health professionals become involved, you may have no choice. Uh, Getting a court order for involuntary hospitalization of an adult with mental illness is complex and varies from state to state. It's designed to balance the need to provide treatment in the least restrictive environment with protection of the civil liberties of the person who is in crisis. When families see the rapid deterioration of a loved one, the instinct to protect them is strong. Uh, We 
are terrified that they may get hurt, injure someone else, or or even die. Balancing the urgent need for treatment with the person's basic civil rights can be controversial and difficult. Seeking involuntary hospitalization of a family member without having it damage family relationships or the self-esteem of the person is challenging. There are specific laws in each state defining the criteria for involuntary commitment to a psychiatric facility. This is a legal process that involves a judge and a hearing. Typically, the criteria include recent threats or attempts to physically harm themselves or others, recent inability to care for themselves, food, clothing, shelter, or medical care uh, due to the mental illness symptoms or recent risk of harm to themselves or others. Then we look at emergency holds. That is another option in crisis situations and can be ordered by a physician and in some states, others, such as law enforcement, to temporarily confine the person in a secure facility, such as a hospital. Emergency holds typically last for 72 hours, not including weekends and holidays. Uh, The purpose of the hold is to keep the person safe while deciding next steps. An emergency hold doesn't necessarily initiate the involuntary commitment process. It's a way to further assess the person while keeping them safe. Then there are inpatient psychiatric units. These units are more like an intensive care unit. They can be noisy and appear hectic, unlike other areas of the hospital where patients generally stay in their room or bed. Uh, Patients and staff are usually moving around the unit. People uh, may be talking loudly or expressing intense emotions. Uh, Being hospitalized for a mental illness is also different because of the restrictions in place to protect the person receiving treatment. These can include locked doors, clothing and gift rules, uh, restrictive visiting hours, and limits on where patients can go. Phones are located only in common areas and and their use is sometimes restricted. For instance, during group time, uh, we would like people to be attending group and not on the telephone. So these rules are in place to help ensure the safety of the patient and others. Due to privacy laws and treatment schedules, family may have a difficult time reaching their loved one by phone or visiting while they're hospitalized. Uh, With today's uh, COVID uh, at an increase, uh, many inpatient care units uh, 
uh, are not allowing uh, visitors. So uh, you need to make sure uh, what their policy on visitation is if they are doing it because of the current outbreak. Many hospitals require the patient to sign a privacy release to allow family members or friends to contact them while while they're hospitalized. When calling the main number, uh, there may be a receptionist, and the receptionist will not tell you if your loved one is even in the hospital. You can ask to be connected to the unit, and depending on the hospital, your call may be transferred to the patient phone area or the nursing desk. Uh, it's important to be polite uh, and re- when, we, when you request that a message be taken uh, to your loved one. During the hospital stay, it's important that your loved one connects with people from their community who provide support and reassurance. Encourage your loved one to allow calls or visits from friends, neighbors, advocates, specific family members, or their spiritual leader. Visiting hours are often limited to make time for therapy sessions and other treatment. Check with the hospital about these times and if there are any age restrictions. Uh, Frequently, children under the age of 16 uh, may not be allowed to visit. Exceptions may be made if your loved one's children want to visit. For the health and safety of your loved one and other patients, there are limits on what you can bring into the hospital. You may be required to let staff lock up your purse and coat. Everything brought to your loved one may be inspected. Check with the hospital for what items are allowed. You can always ask a staff member about bringing in an item you are unsure about, such as their favorite food. Let's talk about confidentiality. If you are the parent or guardian of someone younger than 18, you generally have access to medical records and input into treatment decisions. Notice I said parent or guardian, power of attorney is not included into that. So it is always preferable for your adult family member to share information with you. However, there are exceptions under federal law, HIPAA, Uh, which is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act uh, that permit providers to release information to you without consent. So to learn more about these exceptions, uh, you might want to review the HIPAA privacy rule and sharing information related to mental health. For best results, ask your loved one to sign an authorization for release of this medical information to you during the emergency evaluation or admission process. If they refuse, 
ask staff to continue asking them throughout treatment in hopes that they will change their mind as their condition improves. If a release has been signed, family members should request to attend a treatment team meeting that usually involves a social worker, nurse, and psychiatrist. Ask the team for the following. Diagnosis and what the diagnosis means. Next, course of the illness and its prognosis. Treatment plan. Next, symptoms causing the most concern, what they indicate and how they're being monitored. Also, medications prescribed, why these particular medicines have been selected, the dosage, the expected response, and potential side effects. Next, if the diagnosis, medications, and treatment plan have been discussed with your loved one, which most times ha has occurred, and the reasoning behind those decisions, and if not, explain the reasoning. Also, how often you can meet with the treatment team to discuss progress and whom you can contact for information between these meetings. Also, the aftercare plan once your family member has been discharged from the facility and what to do if your loved one leaves against medical advice. At the treatment team meeting, you can describe what factors you think contributed to your loved one's crisis, any particular stressors and anything else you think might be helpful for effective treatment, including challenges with adherence to treatment in the past. It's also helpful for you to suggest the most appropriate living situation after they're discharged. Be honest and don't apologize if living with you isn't an option. Types of treatment. Treatment generally takes place in one of two types of setting, outpatient or inpatient. Outpatient mental health services are provided while the person lives at home and continues their regular routines with work, school, and family life. For this reason, outpatient services are considered the least restrictive form of treatment. Inpatient means that the person is admitted to a treatment environment that requires staying overnight. It may be a hospital, a residential treatment center, or a crisis unit of some sort, but the treatment is provided while the person is on site at the treatment facility 24 hours a day. The length of stay in an inpatient setting really varies and usually depends heavily on the severity of the crisis, as well as health insurance coverage. Research has shown the most effective treatment plan involves a combination of intervention types. Regardless of whether treatment takes place in an inpatient psychiatric unit or in an outpatient setting, examples of interventions or treatment options include psychosocial treatments, including certain forms of psychotherapy, often called talk therapy, and social and vocational training, 
are helpful in providing support, education, and guidance for people with mental illnesses and their families. Individual psychotherapy involves regular scheduled sessions between the person and a mental health professional. Examples include cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, or dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, and interpersonal therapy. Uh, there's also psychoeducation, which involves teaching people about their mental health condition and treatment options. And then there is self-help and peer support groups for people and families led by and for people with personal experience. These groups are comforting because participants learn that others have experiences like theirs and that they're not alone. Then there's peer recovery education. Uh, this is structured instruction taught by people who have lived experience and can take place in a single session or a series. Uh, there's also peer-run services. Uh, these are mental health programs where the staff use, uses information, skills, and resources they have gained in their own personal recovery to help others. Peer services are based on principles of empowerment, choice, mutual help, and recovery. The goal of peer-run programs is to create a, a supportive place in which people can find peers who understand them, uh, learn recovery skills, and help others. Common types of peer-run programs include drop-in or peer support centers such as a clubhouse program or peer mentoring or peer case management. There are also what we call certified peer support uh, specialists, and they work alongside other mental uh, health care professionals in traditional mental health care programs to provide an extra level of support services to people with mental illness. Next, let's talk about medications. Medications often help a person with mental illness to think more clearly, gain control, and stabilize their emotions. Uh, although any licensed, licensed physician can prescribe medications, psychiatrists and psychiatric nurse practitioners are the most knowledgeable about psychotropic medicines uh, or those used to treat mental illness. So ask the prescribing healthcare professional uh, questions about medication, what to expect from the medication, what is the therapeutic range or dosage, what side effects are common and not so common, how long it takes for the medication to start working, how to know if the medicine is working, uh, also what to look for that shows it is working or if it is not working, uh, what to do or say if taking the medication or taking it regularly is a challenge. So keep a written record of all prescribed medications uh, the recommended dose, and how well or poorly each works and is tolerated. A medication that works well for one person may be ineffective or intolerable for another. If the medicine isn't working, it's important for one of you to tell the doctor so that adjustments can be made. 
pharmacists are also an excellent source of information. If you have questions, uh, you also want to read the package inserts that come with the medicine. It's important to discuss this information and any questions with the doctor who knows the patient and is prescribing the medications. In addition to their intended therapeutic effects, psychotropic medications often have side effects which vary both among individuals and in intensity and severity. It's important to monitor both intended and unexpected side effects of medicines and report those to the doctor. It can take weeks or even months for psychotropic medications to be effective, which can be frustrating. If side effects are experienced, it's important to contact the clinician that prescribed the medication immediately and discuss options. Stopping a medication without talking with the healthcare professional first can lead to unwanted complications, including a return of symptoms. There are complementary health approaches. Uh, traditional medical and therapeutic methods have improved over the years, but they often don't completely get rid of symptoms. As a result, many people use complementary and alternative methods to help with recovery. There is also creating an effective discharge plan. The discharge plan includes ways you can help care for and support your loved one once they're released from a hospital or other inpatient treatment setting. Discharge plans are not always shared with family members, but don't hesitate to ask what the plan is for your loved one's care once they're released. So the plan should include what was the reason for admission, the information on diagnosis in terms that are easy to understand, uh, medications to take after discharge, and uh, specific information as far as the purpose, the dosage, when that medication should be taken, how it should be taken, possible side effects, where to get the medication in refills, and instructions about over-the-counter medications, legal substances such as alcohol and nicotine, as well as illegal substances considering the patient's history, uh, self-care activities, uh, coping skills, uh, recovery goals, crisis management, follow-up appointments, uh, referrals to community support services, and you need to confirm that the medications prescribed at discharge are covered by any health insurance plan that is in place. Discuss benefit coverage and affordability with the doctor, the nurse practitioner, or whoever is prescribing the medications. Any changes in medications should be clear to you and your family. It's always best for both the person and the family to be involved in the discharge process. It's important to remember that crisis services are meant to help people with symptoms of mental illness get the help they need in a safe setting. Recovery can be a process that requires ongoing care, 
treatment and support. This is Real Life. I'm Lisa. Stay well.